It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Rush. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. Edition of the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, four to six. I am Brett Rump, Adam Lundy in the producer's chair. Big two-hour show today. Plenty of great guests. Justin Cohn from the Journal Gazette will join us. Yeah, we'll talk Comets hockey with JC coming up a little bit later this hour. Also, hour number two, James Floyd from the Athletic and James O'Connor. It's our All James Hour. As James O'Connor, a local NIL attorney, and he's going to talk to us about the situation that's going on at Tennessee, the situation at Dartmouth, and just overall the picture of the NIL landscape. He'll be on with us around 535. And we've got our Parkview Sports Medicine text line ready to roll. What's your question? 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Well, coming up tonight, Indiana on the road at Ohio State. They've made the trip over to Columbus as two struggling teams are going to be meeting up tonight. In fact, you look at both these teams and they have to be looking at like they're looking at the mirror when they're looking at their opponent tonight. Indiana is one and four over their last five. They're two and five over their last seven. And then Ohio State, they're only one and seven over their last eight. And ironically, the one win Ohio State got during that eight-game sequence is against the team that just beat Indiana. And we were saying yesterday what a bad loss it was for the Hoosiers and State. So who knows who we like in this one? We do know that Ohio State's been a better basketball team at home. We also know that Chris Holtman's feeling the pressure. Home losses makes that pressure that much greater. Um, and so... What uh, what gives tonight? Ohio State, I think, is like a five-and-a-half-point favorite. So Vegas likes the Buckeyes at home against the Hoosiers. Even Vegas has now given up on the Indiana Hoosiers. That surprised me because I thought this line was going to be very close. Yeah, nope, five-and-a-half. I thought it was going to be closer than that. Uh, but uh, one of the battles to watch, I assume... And someone tell me, because the first game, I don't remember who had who. Who had Jamison Battle? I'm thinking Khalil Ware is probably going to have Jamison Battle, and that will be a good battle. <laughs> good one, good <laughs> yeah. one, Brett. Thank you. Thank you. I think uh, he might wear on him a bit. Oh, okay. We're uh, done. We're, we're done now. Is that, that's it? I'm not allowed anymore? Um, no, seriously, you got you get a seven footer on Jamison Battle, mm-hmm. who's like six seven, six eight, and it's a chance kind of to step outside and contest a three point shot without having to be right up in his grill. And that's why I kind of like Ware matching up on Battle, because to me, that's where the game's going to be decided. Ohio State has struggled offensively, and Jamison Battle can get them points in a hurry because he can get hot from three. He's got that feathery left handed touch. 
And when he steps outside the arc, if you give him space, he might burn you for seven or eight threes. But if you can stay on him and limit him to maybe one or two, maybe three threes max, uh, you got a chance to stay in the game with Ohio State because they just haven't had other guys that have really dominated or picked up the slack. So I, uh, I'm i going to be watching that matchup, Khalil Ware versus Jamison Battle. I think that's one of the keys. Jamison Battle's been hitting 45% from three this year. Indiana can't let him go off and hit 45, 50%, hit, you know, seven for 14 or some ridiculous number like that. Indiana did win the first meeting, 71 to 65, and uh, also somewhat ironic, that was exactly one month ago. It was 1624. We're now at 2624. Does that mean anything? Is there an omen? Is it something good for Indiana? I kind of. Uh, Kind of tempted to take Indiana on the points. I think Indiana can keep this close. But the only problem is you look at the Illinois game and down the stretch, Indiana didn't make free throws. Um, That's that's the part that really scares me. Can Indiana finish a deal at the line? And if this game would happen to go overtime, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State ends up winning it by more than (laughs) five and a half points. So Uh, I don't know. Might fade it. Might not get involved in this one tonight. It's on your favorite streaming service. Oh yeah, it is a Peacock game, so I guess I guess I wouldn't have the anxiety of having to watch it. I will be listening <laughs> tonight to Don Fisher. Yeah, and of course Indiana basketball is on our sister station, Whoa Whoa ninety two point three FM. So if you do want to listen to Indiana, we've got radio coverage, and the best part about it, radio coverage is free. Free ninety nine. Free <laughs> nothing that it will cost you. No special subscription. Uh, you know, it, it was funny, but Roger Goodell got asked about the, the question about the Peacock and putting a NFL playoff game on Peacock. And I think the actual way the question was worded, it's like, how much money's too much money for the NFL? <laughs> how much do you really have to get that now you're going out and digging it at fans' pockets to stream games? And, uh, and uh, his answer, ra- rather interesting, uh, an interesting take on it, where he he said... We're looking to build our younger fan base. We have to put our game where they're the, the platforms that they watch to get our game to. Really? You're telling me a 25-year-old isn't smart enough to figure out where Fox is <laughs> or where uh, NBC is located? If you've got to search for ESPN, is it going to be a challenge to you, Mr. Generation Z? Is that right? Is it Generation Z now? Ooh, I have no idea. Generation uh Z or generation uh, or, or millennials. Yeah, I uh, we just had this discussion in the office today. Yeah. about, about uh, I'm like the youngest. I think I'm the youngest age for a baby boomer. Interesting. Uh, Let's see. And uh, I believe I'm the youngest age for a baby boomer. I don't think I'm in generation. Which one is it? Generation Z, Generation X. Which one? Getting the. Getting oh, the you're getting here. the official breakdown of all the generations. All right. Apparently. Generation Z is born 1997 through 2012. Uh, you hold said, on, hold on. So that'd be uh, that'd yep. be 20 about 27. Wait, is that right? 27. Turning 27 this year, yeah. Okay, and that's Generation Z. Z. Okay. Now millennials, it's saying born 1981 through 96. Okay. That's millennials. What, wait, wait, what happened? 91 to, okay, 81 to 96. Yep. So you're talking about people that are 28 to 81, maybe uh, 43. Yes. Turning 43 this year. 
Yes. Generation X before that is 1965 through 1980. Yeah, I'm. So you're you're in the you're a boomer. I'm giving away my age. <laughs> thanks to you, Adam. <laughs> hey, we, we had to look it up. We yeah. Gotta... Now you've looked it up and given it actual years. Now I have to just sit here and accept <laughs> that I've already acknowledged. I'm like the. Oh, no. The next year that you haven't mentioned. <laughs> 1946 through 64 are the boomers. So that would be uh, that would be uh, what almost almost 80, 78. Yep. To, to about 60. To 60. 60. Man, there's people out there. 60. <laughs> yes, there are people out there that are 60. <laughs> might be one in here. There might be, but we won't say. Uh. Adam, what are, you're you're 26. Yep. So I'm technically uh, Generation Z. I just made the cut. You're born, the Z. Born yeah. in 1997. Yep. So. Uh, all right. Four six eight six two Sparky Sports <laughs> Medicine text line. We'll move on very quickly. Yes. But that is the generational divide between the two of us because occasionally uh, I'll catch you on names like Stargell. Oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of that, it is a Tuesday. We're going to be playing some Tuesday time capsule trivia today. Hopefully. Adam has done his research to get all the pronunciations correct. Nah. Nah. Just throw them out there. <laughs> That'll what, help you. We'll see right? what sticks. You know, when you're talking about Australian rules football or in all these other crazy sports, it's like, who knows? The people don't, nobody knows the names exactly. of the people in those leagues. So it doesn't even matter. Why put in the research? Yeah, why prep? Only a show that your mom listens to. Uh, <laughs> but uh, tonight, Indiana, Ohio State, I... I want so badly to take the points because I think this is an Ohio State team that has really been down and out. Now, they haven't gotten blown out, but they've been consistently getting beat. They are at home where they're better than on the road, but I got to think Indiana bounces back, that Indiana has to feel some shame in their performance against Penn State. I'm not sure. Where's the heart of Indiana? We're going to find out tonight because if they've got heart, they've got pride, they've got some kind of a accountability to their teammates, they'll come out and play a little harder and better than they did against Penn State. If this team comes out flat again, then we know. They've tanked it. They don't care. They they don't care. They they're They're not taking accountability for their own actions because if you – if you were truly embarrassed, like the fans were, with the performance against Penn State, then you're going to go to Columbus and you're going to try to prove something and say, you know what, that was an anomaly. We accept accountability for that, responsibility for that, and we're going to come out and play our best and our hardest because we're not going to let that happen again. And a lot of it is you do that not just for the fan base, not just for the coach. You do that for your teammates. And so we'll find out, does this team really have a bond? Will they play for each other? That's what we're looking for tonight with Indiana. Ohio State, to be determined. I uh, I just don't think Chris Holtman has the combination of talent. I just don't think he got the right guys. I don't think they're as good as Indiana from a talent perspective. But Indiana has been so inconsistent <clears throat> that that's hurt them. And uh, we'll see what happens tonight. Indiana-Ohio State. What time is that game? I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, it's uh, at 7 o'clock. Seven o'clock tip. Yep. Six o'clock pregame with uh, the great Don Fisher, uh, right uh, right here on our sister station, Whoa Whoa ninety two point three FM. <laughs> so uh, an interesting decision came down yesterday. Didn't have a chance to talk about it, but uh, 
Uh, 15 members of the Dartmouth men's basketball team signed a petition in September asking to join Local 560 of the Service Employees International Union, which represents some other employees at uh, their Ivy League school, which is in Hanover, New Hampshire. And amazingly, I have been there wow. to Dartmouth. Yeah, the Mastodons played Dartmouth a few years ago. It's, uh, I think, about a 40-minute drive or so outside of Boston. But... Uh, but they wanted to actually form a union. Well, to form the union, they had to be uh, it had to be determined that they were considered employees of the university. And a National Labor Relations Board regional official ruled on Monday the Dartmouth basketball players are employees of the school, clearing the way for the election that could create the first ever labor union for NCAA athletes. Now. There's a couple of things to keep in mind here. Number one, this is only because it is a private institution. This does not apply to the public institutions. And so, uh, you know, it's somewhat limited on the the, the ruling. But, uh, but also, it only applies to the Dartmouth men's basketball team. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the all these rulings and these decisions... Everybody wants to be pro-player friendly right now, and I get that. It's it's employee friendly in the employer-employee workplace. It is player friendly right now when it comes to decisions involving NIL and the NCAA. That's just the way we are as a society. What generation is that that's doing that to us, Adam? Is that <laughs> is that your generation? I don't know. I don't know. The older ones like to always blame the younger ones. So. Um, you know, my generation, <laughs> us baby boomers, it's like the boss is always right. He can make the rules. Everybody else has to follow. That's right. You know, that's the way we grew up. Back in my day. Well, and... And it was funny, too, because there are certain profiles that are associated with each of the generations. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and Joel here in the office was, was talking that it's remarkable how when you meet someone, they seem to fit the profile of that generation. And I said a lot of it is because the time we grew up and the culture of our society around us at the time we were kids and, and you know, uh, high school kids, you know, and, and kind of forming our adult opinions and our lifestyles and our beliefs that those kind of stick with us throughout our lives. Like, uh, you know, if you grow up poor, you're always conscious of money. Mm-hmm. Um, if you grow up and your parents were both working and you had plenty of money, then money is not that significant because you just assume it will always be there. So there are some generational differences. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It just seems to me as a baby boomer that I look back on this and I think this uh, this is just another way that the scale is tilting toward the player. Some of you might be very happy for that. Others might feel that's not fair. That's probably part of your generation. But um, th- this is another situation, I think, where the players get some more leverage uh, if they get a union, they can now negotiate things like playing time, benefits, even travel. Could you imagine, man, maybe maybe I need to get the uh, broadcasters union together. <laughs> and uh, we can all get private planes and yeah. take charter flights. Yeah, I like that idea. I do like that idea. Of course, most of the other broadcasters don't have their own chopper. Oh, that's true. Got I'll be on the chopper today. Sports Rush Chopper, baby. Sports Rush Chopper's got to get across town at 6 o'clock. Yeah. Four minutes and 24 seconds is the actual flight time, I'm told, by our pilot to get uh, from here to uh, to the Holiday Inn, Purdue, Fort Wayne for the Mastodon's Coaches Show. Speedy.
Four minutes, 24 seconds. All right, so let's find out what's happening in the world of sports. It's today's top headlines with Adam Monday. All right, thanks, Brett. Well, Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay's health appears to have shifted in a positive trajectory. Earlier today, Ursay posted his first message on X, formerly known as Twitter, in nearly a month, saying, quote, on the mend, grateful for all the messages of love and support. No further details at this time. Clayton Kershaw and the Los Angeles Dodgers have reached agreement on a new contract, ensuring that he will remain with the only organization he has ever pitched for. The structure of Kershaw's deal is unknown, but the left-hander, who turns 36 in March, will take his physical at the Dodgers' spring, spring training complex in Arizona within the next day or two. Kershaw will return for at least his 17th season with the Dodgers, but will spend at least half the first the first half of the year recovering from offseason shoulder injury. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver picked Trey Young and Scotty Barnes as all-star injury replacements today, adding them to the Eastern Conference roster for the February 18th game in Indianapolis. They replaced Philadelphia's Joel Embiid and New York's Julius Randle, both of whom are unable to play because of injuries. Embiid had knee surgery on Tuesday, and Randle is dealing with a dislocated shoulder. Embiid is proving that he's an MVP just by how Philadelphia is playing without him. Yeah. It's not his performance that's helping him. It's the record of Philadelphia without him in the lineup. Totally different team. Absolutely. One more story for you, Brett. The Chicago Blackhawks will host the 2025 NHL Winter Classic at Wrigley Field. The league source confirms today their opponent will be the St. Louis Blues. The NHL previously held the second Winter Classic at Wrigley Field in 2009, featuring the Blackhawks and the Red Wings. Chicago last appeared in the 2019 Winter Classic at Notre Dame Stadium against the Bruins. And those are your top stories. 2025 Winter Classic. That'll be next year. Yes. Oh, well, good. We're going to be sending Adam. All right. Wrigley Field Winter Classic. Live reporting. I like it. It'll give me a chance to have a different producer <laughs> for a day. All right. There you go. Today's top headlines with Adam Lundy. Still coming up on the show, Justin Cohn will be joining us to talk Winter Classic Fort Wayne style here at the Coliseum. What's happening with the Comets? And, uh, you know, Diamond Hands, he came out and kind of showed what he's made of, made Fort Wayne fans <laughs> oh, yeah. pretty pleased that he's wearing the black and orange right now. Didn't take him long to make his mark, what, 10 seconds, 12 seconds into the game? Oh, man. The boom, he smashed a guy into Woo. the into the boards. <laughs> and then uh, when he dropped the gloves, he pretty much put a guy out of uh, submission. He, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he never got back in the game, I don't think. But we'll get the details. Justin yeah. Cohen was there firsthand. He's going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes. Also, your questions, comments, or suggestions, we always like to hear from you on this show. It's 46862, the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Reports are circulating that the Pacers have an interest in Andrew Wiggins. I don't know what they'd be willing to give up for Andrew Wiggins, but I think they have to create a spot. I mean, would Obi Toppin be a guy that... Maybe uh, Toppin and, and healed. Is, is that what you, you think it would be topping and healed would be the combination? Probably. I can't believe Miles Turner would be any part of that deal because I don't think the Pacers would come out ahead in that deal. But you've got to clear some kind of payroll salary. Right, right. Um, and I, I, I don't know what Toppin makes right now, but I, you've got to have a position where he can play, and then you've got to have the, the salary to be able to bring him in. And he's... He's on what a twenty some million dollar deal, uh, twenty million or something per year. So it's not a cheap contract, but uh, but yeah, the the buzz is Shamsharania is reporting that uh, that the Pacers do have an interest 
in Andrew Wiggins. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, Andrew Wiggins getting paid about twenty six, twenty eight million for the next uh, two years, and then another year of about thirty million, and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. But yeah, that's that's a fair bit of change. Four six eight six two Parkview Sports Medicine text line four six eight six two. Big basketball game tonight as the Homestead Spartans take on the Wayne Generals at Wayne. It's a team in Wayne that is undefeated at the top of the Summit Athletic Conference and the Homestead Spartans sitting just a game behind and they will play tonight at Wayne and huge news for the Homestead Spartans. Will Jamison, who was involved in that automobile accident just before the season started, he has been cleared and he will, he can be a full go for Homestead. Now, I don't know what he's done up to this point and if he'll be ready to just jump into the lineup and, and you know, play like nothing happened, if uh, he'll just get in a, for a brief amount, if he'll play at all, to be quite honest. But I do know, uh, according to social media posts, that Will Jamison has been cleared for Homestead. And that's very positive news that uh, that he was able to recover, get back, and get medically cleared to play. Uh, because certainly now, between you know, even if Homestead doesn't win the Summit Athletic Conference, it does mean that Homestead's going to be full strength, 100%, when you get to the postseason, and uh, he gets a chance to get out there. You know, the one thing you don't get in high school is you don't get a redshirt year. No. <laughs> you know, my son realized that, because my son, in uh, mid to late September, in the open gym period, before basketball season started, when he was in high school, tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. And the first thought was this was going to cost him the season. And uh, he was very determined to do whatever he had to do to get back. And so it was in intense physical therapy, a lot of work. It helped that the coach's wife was also a physical therapist because she then, you know, she was personally motivated to get him back. And uh, my son was able to play starting about early February. Nice. which was a very quick return from a torn ACL, and he wasn't 100%. He didn't move laterally like like he normally would, but just to have him out there and to not miss the entire season, because once you miss a season, you don't get it back. That's that's a memory of your lifetime. You will never have a chance to reclaim. And so, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm happy for Will Jamison making it back out there, but that should be a heck of a game coming up tonight at Wayne. And things do become interesting if Homestead finds a way to get the win over the Generals, and then oh, there's yeah. uh, one loss Lures, with everybody at the top. Lures is a huge Homestead fan tonight. Yeah, you don't say that every day. <laughs> no, that Lures knocked off Homestead earlier this season. In fact, it's a game that we had here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM, so it's available on our archive. If you ever want to go back and listen to some of our broadcasts, we have the Fort Wayne High School Sports Podcast, and our games are posted almost before they end. <laughs> that was almost true with Homestead Columbia City. Almost. By the time I got to my car, the game was already posted. It was like, wow, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, but no, we've got all our games archived. We go back to football, basketball. It's all there. You may have to do some scrolling past the hockey to get to all of them. But, <laughs> uh, but they are on there on Fort Wayne High School Sports. Just check it out by name wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And then make sure once you're there, you subscribe. So uh, so you can easily follow when we post new content, new games. Uh, tonight, we're going to have on the radio the Mastodon's Coaches Show at 6 o'clock, followed by the Pacers versus the Houston Rockets at 7. And then for those of you that are Boilermakers fans, Matt Painter 
He'll have a lot to say, but he'll have a lot to say late tonight because it's 11.05 p.m. for the Matt Painter Show. Uh, nice little uh, way to round out the evening. Got to get it on when you can get it on. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Charlie Partridge. Did You know, I grew up on the Partridge family, and every time I see this name, I keep thinking, which Partridge was he? I think of the one in the pear tree. Was he the drummer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Charlie Partridge is the new Colts defensive line coach. Yeah. I had to get my scoop. I had to go and do some research on Charlie Partridge because the Colts defensive line wasn't bad last year. And so this guy's got big shoes to fill. Nate Ollie. He might be able to fill them. Uh, he was, uh, the former Pitt defensive line coach named National Defensive Line Coach of the Year two times in 2020 and 2022, developed a number of uh, NFL defensive linemen, and was uh, pit-rated in the top three in sacks four of the last five seasons. So he is a guy that knows how to get after the quarterback. And, of course, anybody who's a Colts fan values that very highly. Need to make it happen. That's uh, last year they were better, but maybe they can be even better yet. Charlie Partridge, the new Colts defensive line coach. Know anything about Coach Partridge? I know he was at Pitt. That's about it. Do not say Coach Partridge in a pear tree. Do not say it. Oh, I wanted to say it. I know you did. I know. It's like me and and, uh, Jameson Battle. (laughs) Going to be a big battle at uh, at, uh, Columbus tonight. Oh, jeez. All right, so we have to uh, (laughs) talk to Justin Cohn. We do. And uh, we'll do that coming up on the other side of the break. James Boyd is going to join the program from The Athletic coming up at about 5.20. We also talk NIL with James O'Connor, local attorney who kind of specializes in NIL situations. Right now, we've got a guest who's got some explaining to do. It's uh, from the Journal-Gazette. Justin Cohen, of course, covers the Comets. I'm not going to make him defend the Comets. No, I want him to defend the Detroit Lions and figure out what the hell happened against San Francisco. Justin, welcome to the show. Wow, I didn't know I was going to have to be Dan Campbell. (laughs) Got to know, man. What uh, Man, it had to be a tough day for you to watch that game and watch the lead slip away. I mean, honestly, it wasn't. I know it sounds strange, but, you know, I think it was week 12. You know, I, I said, whatever happens from here is gravy to me. Like, I was just having so much fun with, the team I have followed my whole life finally being relevant, finally being able to experience some of the things that I think everybody else takes for granted, like, you know, games and prime time that you win and, and people actually cheering for your team. All that being said, of course. I mean, I will say that the, the 15 minutes at halftime was a lot of fun, and I said to my wife, even if they <laughs> blow this, that they, they probably will because it's the Lions. It's just so fun to have this moment where you think you're going to the Super Bowl. Um, but I, I don't have problems with the going for it on fourth down. I really don't. They That's how they got there. Their percentages on fourth down were pretty good. They had a kicker who had not attempted kicks from any distance because of that. Like, I can justify all of those. Now, if you want to knock them for something, it was late in the game where they had all three timeouts, and they ran it on, like, third down, I think it was, and they didn't get it, and they didn't have enough blockers, and that forced them 
to take a timeout and put the whole game now on an onside kick or yeah. hold their hopes on an onside kick. That was the decision that I was sitting there like, what on earth are you doing? Yeah. So maybe the game was over. It probably was. But they had all three timeouts in this explosive offense. So I, I thought there was hope until that happened. Yeah, that was uh, one of those types of plays where you're gambling. The guy has to be able to score. And if he doesn't, you almost have dug your own grave. And, and you know, because you need that timeout. So it, it was tough. I, I was pulling for the Lions, to be honest with you. And it was kind of tough because as soon as... Uh, as soon as they failed on the, the fourth down that would have made it a 17-point lead, at that point I thought that's going to cost them. That, that's opening the door to a really good opponent and giving them a chance at gaining momentum. And all it took was one score, and now all of a sudden uh, San Francisco had all the momentum and the Lions were on their heels. And, I, you know, Justin, I get it. He does it all year. That's the way the Lions got there. But you know as well as I do, playoff hockey is different than regular season hockey. And at times, you got to just, you know, suck it up. And, uh, you know, the discipline that's required in playoff hockey might be different than the discipline that's required during a regular season game. And that's where I had an issue was this is the big stage, winner take all, no margin for error. You lose and your season ends. I, I just thought it was too big of a risk giving the stakes for him to go for it, or on that on that kick that would have made it seventeen. Again, I know it's not a, I know he doesn't trust the kicker because he hasn't kicked a lot of long field goals. But my God, he's an NFL kicker. If he can't put it through from what would it have been 44, 45 yards, he has no business being in the league. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't say you're wrong on any of that. And as a reporter, I hate it. Like I get sick of people saying, "Oh well, you know, hindsight and all that stuff." But this really is the perfect example of those comments when people say, well, you know, if, if he puts the kicker out there and he misses one, then everybody's just going to kill him for that and say all of a sudden you're changing what you do. You know, if, if they win the game, they convert those four downs, everybody says, oh, he's genius. You know, this is he stayed true to himself. He did what he had done all year and look at the cojones and all that stuff. So... Yeah, I mean, I can't dispute what you're saying, but this is such a great illustration of how we can just look back and, and, and just crush somebody in hindsight. I mean, I couldn't believe there were people actually debating whether Dan Campbell should lose his job after what he did. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not that because, you know, it's, it's like, I, I get the fact that that's what got them there. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't think, <laughs> I certainly don't think this should be anything that jeopardizes his employment with the Detroit Lions. My God, they, they, it's been the best season they've had in, in since Barry Sanders. Uh, all right, let's talk common hockey. Weekend that was two close losses at home and a one-sided win on the road. I don't know what you call that. Is it uh, disappointment, a little bit of a underachievement? Is it? A nice win to salvage the weekend. What is your take on the Comets weekend this past weekend? I mean, look, you're summing up this season. Like, they're 5-2-1 and one in their last eight. You know, so that looks great. You know, they were trending in the right direction, but now they've lost two of three. So which team is it? Um, I come out of it thinking it was kind of a disappointment. And that's mostly to me because of Sunday. Uh, there was so much energy 
in that building uh, for the first half of the first period. I mean, everything scripted perfectly for a great start, and then they take penalties. Now, one of them was an absolutely preposterous penalty where they gave Jack Dugan embellishment, but, you know, that's been a thing with this team, and they just need to stay out of the box better, you know, and it's not just they're not giving up a lot of power play goals, Excuse me, but um, they don't have a lot of penalty killers. So if you're spending, you know, three quarters of the first period killing penalties, you're putting that all on the same group of guys, and you're fatiguing them. And then the other guys, well, then they finally get in the second period, they've been sitting there all night. So it has an impact just beyond giving up power play goals. And I do think that's a fixable thing. I mean, it's a young team, and... And some of the guys who are taking penalties are some of the older guys, but I would think they would learn the lesson here. So I, I think that's that's fixable. Um, but you know, which team do we have? Is it the one that wins seven to one on the road, or the one that loses four to two at home? I, I'm not sure yet. Where are they at with Jesse Kalicki's systems? Do you think there's complete buy-in? They just lack execution at times. Do you think uh, where, where is it at? I guess as we get to this stage of the season. I don't see a problem with the systems, and I think they are mostly adhering to them. Um, You know, if you were to ask Jesse, I'm sure he would just say that there are nights that uh, guys just spray a little bit from what they're supposed to be doing. If you go back to Friday night, the term he was using was a lot of hope plays, where instead of doing what you're supposed to, you're just kind of, putting the puck into one direction and hoping one of your teammates is there to get it. And the good news is we're seeing less and less of those nights. Uh, the one part of the system that I was pretty iffy about was special teams early in the season. Corey Melker, the assistant coach, he made some changes to that probably early December, I would say. Uh, and that's both the power play and the penalty kill. And both have really improved since then. So, you know, system-wise, I think they're good. Buy-in, I think they're good. It's just a matter of consistency. Let's talk about Diamond Hands. He made his debut finally on Sunday in a thunderous fashion. It didn't take him long to make his mark among Comet fans. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's great theater. I mean, he just comes out and just leveled a guy (laughs) nine seconds in. And... I mean, you could see it coming a mile oh, away. Yeah, yeah. it's like, don't put your head down. Oh, he put his head down, and here he comes, right. man. He right. just and, and people think that because they say you can see it coming a mile away, that means that it was charging, and, and that's not necessarily the case. I mean, it was just a perfect setup. You know, he's on the right wing, and they dump the puck in on the opposite board, and the defenseman has to be aware that when he's coming behind the net and clearing the puck, that there's going to be somebody coming to level him. Now, he probably wasn't aware because we don't see those hits very much anymore. (laughs) But that doesn't make it dirty. I mean, it was right on the line, but that's what you got to do. If you're a player like him, you got to know where the line is and not go past it. And he was not going full speed. He clearly led up. Um, So... Would I have had a problem if they call charging? No. Like, I actually thought they were going to call charging. But, 
you know, I think if you have an older school mentality like I do, it was a clean hit. So you got that, and then you get the fight on his next shift. Uh, almost happened right after the hit, but, um, you know, good. it was the right thing to do by Kalamazoo's player, Chaz Redekop, I think, you know, to, to stand up to that, to send a message. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it got the building just going, and it felt like old United Hockey League hockey, you know, where, the, where every team had one or two guys that was going to do that, and there was hitting, and it was a little bit more exciting, not so much uh, just skill. And uh, so it was a throwback, but, you know, in an overall sense to me, you got to take advantage of it. You know, you can't, you can't let that go away. And, you know, by the early in the second period, it just felt like a, a typical Sunday game in terms of the, the buzz in the air. And, and to me, that's on them for not capitalizing on the momentum they created early. Justin, it seems like this team has played pretty well on the road. I mean, when you look overall at the body of work, they've been I think a pretty decent road team. And I, I wonder sometimes the effects of big crowds at the Coliseum, because it either is going to inspire you to play better or it's, it changes your game, whether that's the adrenaline, whether it's trying to show something to the fans or whatever, uh, or you might play a more basic game, a boring game when you're on the road, because there's nobody really to impress, which maybe keeps you within your systems better. Uh, is this team different at home versus on the road, the way they play, the way they handle the crowd? You know, if you asked me that last season, I would have said definitely yes. Um, I'm a little not so sure. It's, it's, I, I don't think they play a lot differently at home. I just think they don't know how to channel and take advantage of the home crowd as much. But yeah, to me, it's still really early. Like a lot of these home games have been – Sunday games. There haven't necessarily been like like last year, really the last two years under Boudreaux. You know, there was all these games where they would have ten thousand fans and just blow it in front of them. And I don't think it's quite like that this year, if, if that makes sense. So you know, as some of it is just happenstance, and they definitely need to take advantage of when there are larger crowds, especially compared to like when you're playing in Kalamazoo or Wheeling. But I don't know that they're getting the butterflies or anything like that. I think they just haven't figured out how to take advantage of those crowds. They did. Like, they did on Sunday. Like, that was the whole reason, right? But it was like, okay, what do we do now? And then they kind of reverted to some of their, uh, you know, their more common mistakes, like penalties, things like that. Justin, uh, comments hit the road this week. They're going to be gone for four in a row, and they started with Kansas City. What do we know about Kansas City? Yeah, well, Kansas City is just very good, top to bottom. I mean, I've talked to coaches who just call them just, they're just sick. I mean, they've got a, a lot of skill players. Uh, Max Andreev is one of the most exciting rookies in the league. There's a guy named Patrick Curry, sort of like Jack Dugan, like a guy that had been in the AHL for a few years. He comes down here, he's just tearing it up. Um, Kate Borchard, another rookie. They've got three really good goalies. They've got a nice affiliation going with the Seattle Kraken and uh, Coachella Valley. Their coach, Tad O'Had, also came from the Florida Everblades like Jesse Kalki. They know each other pretty well. So it's a very good team, top to bottom. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about penalties. That's something good to illustrate. Fort Wayne gets the 10th most penalties in the league. 
Kansas City gets the second fewest. So a great example of Fort Wayne needs to stay out of the box, not give Kansas City special teams a lot, a lot of chances. Uh, but they just do everything really well. They're consistent home and the road. So it's going to be a good test for them. Um, and, and they've won, uh, they're 4-0-1 in their last five, too. So it's not like uh, they're not coming in hot because they are. Justin, always appreciate you jumping on with us. Uh, we'll look forward to your coverage of the Comets while they're on the road and look forward to them getting back to the Coliseum. But always appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks, man. Yep, that is Justin Cohn, Journal Gazette, joining us here on the Sports Rush. We've got a jam-packed hour still coming up. We're going to be talking to James Boyd from The Athletic. We'll get uh, his take on the new Colts coach. Also, we'll talk to him a little bit about the Pacers. And we've got James O'Connor, a local attorney, who's going to talk to us about the NIL legal matters that are happening, including at Tennessee and that National Labor Relations Board decision on the Dartmouth basketball team about forming a union and what that means and what's the, I guess, what's the foundation for it. But we'll talk to James O'Connor coming up at about 5.35. 6 o'clock, Mastodon's Coaches Show. We invite you to join us tonight on your way home. Stop by maybe for a drink, maybe grab a bite to eat. You can hang out with us. We'll be there with women's basketball coach Maria Marcasano, men's basketball coach John Kaufman, and we'll also talk a little golf with uh, golf coach Billy King, who will join us on the show, as well as assistant coach Adam Blaylock from the Mastodons men's basketball team. It's a packed show. It starts at 6, ends at 7, broadcasting live from the Holiday Inn, Purdue-Fort Wayne, right across from the Memorial Coliseum. Just come in the lobby, open to the public. The Mastodon Grill is right there as you come into the lobby, off to the left. It's very easy to find, and we hope to see you there between 6 and 7. If you're not there in person, you can listen to it right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. We'll take a break. Another hour on the way. Sports Rush taking you home on a Tuesday on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.